Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. At its essence, when you buy a bar of chocolate, you should have two or three ingredients. The cocoa beans, a bit of sugar, and if it's a milk chocolate, a bit of milk. And we should be able to just think about those and appreciate where they come from and just start using that as a tool just to think a little bit more about what is going on here. How does food get made and work? And what does it do to us? This is Spencer Hyman, the founder of Cacao Runners, and they are the home of the world's finest craft chocolate with over 100 makers from all over the world and more than 750 bars available. And they say they have tasted more than 5,000 bars over the years. They help you to get the best and most ethical craft chocolate straight to your front door. And I got connected with Spencer after my fascinating conversation with Sean Eskinosi earlier this summer. Spencer has a strong background from e-commerce and has over the years been involved in some fascinating projects like launching Last.fm and now Cacao Runners, a business that gives more than it takes. The vision for this conversation was to share the impact our chocolate eating behaviors have on people and the planet. And I was truly shocked when I first met Spencer and he shared these insights on how chocolate consumption impacts supply chain and people's lives in a very negative way. We talk about his and cow runner's journey, their purpose, vision, and mission, their thoughts on grateful growth, and how to change consumer behaviors to make positive impact, and how to build a strong business model. And Spencer shares his learnings from the last couple of years and his favorite books. Before you tune in, please sign up for a weekly newsletter, Maverick Talk, which is packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. I would highly advise you to grab your notebook. Spencer makes you reflect and challenge your own leadership and business model. And yes, we do a small chocolate tasting during the podcast. So watch out for that. And now over to Spencer. Today's conversation is, uh, we, we're probably going to be talking about hospitality because what they do at their core, would I would say was hospitality because I actually been so lucky to be on one of their chocolate tastings and actually Spencer as the guest today which I'm visiting here in, in Farringdon has actually uh, you know listening to one of the conversations and that was why he reached out to me and we got connected with Sean Eskinosi who is also into chocolate and, and changing the world through chocolate so so that's what we're going to be talking about today and uh, as I was talking with Spencer and we talked a lot of things you know just like not chocolate but also how we change the world through business and and one of the things we're going to dive into, which I think is very interesting for, for the audience out there, which was a bit of an eye-opener for me, is like actually the impact chocolate have on the, the food system, also about on the system of humanity and how we treat people. So yeah, so we're going to come back to that. But with that said, 
welcome to the uh, show, Spencer. Thank you. I'm a huge fan. And I love listening to it. So it's a great honor to be here. Yeah, and I've really been looking forward to today because uh, I know that, you know, you have some insights that will, you know, people that's interesting in to make the, the world a better place through business actually may might be able to transfer some of that, even though they're not in chocolate. So I think we should start a bit of that so people get uh, an understanding about your story because you have not always been in chocolate. So what's your background and how do you actually end up to want to change the world through business and chocolate. Yeah, well, thank you. So, yes, yeah, so um, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm British, born and bred here. I went to university here. And then I started my career as a management consultant, but pretty rapidly actually did something a little bit different, which is that I used to make cabbage patch dolls in Thailand, um, which was uh, definitely eye-opening, very tough, uh, but a great introduction to Asia. And I then ended up uh, in Japan making video games before I came back to the UK. And through that experience of toys and video games and everything, I actually got hired by Amazon to launch their software, their video games, their electronics, their toy stores here and in the UK, um, also in France and in Germany, and helped a bit in Japan too. And after that, I sort of actually moved much more into doing lots of different startups, some of which worked very successfully, like Last.fm um, or um, and and LinkedIn and then uh, a number of other which uh, didn't work quite so well before I sort of stumbled across this amazing product which is chocolate and I, I think I probably first sort of realized how extraordinary chocolate was when I was living in Japan and learning Japanese um, because one of the guys I learned it with was a French guy who actually was working for Bongram which is a very big cheese company as you all the hospitality guys probably know but they also own Valrona and he sort of opened this sort of Brit's eyes to this amazingly complex substance which has sort of got more flavor complexity and depth to it than just about anything else and uh, that's how I sort of became intrigued by chocolate uh, and then and then you know I sort of moved into the idea of chocolate because I had a business partner Simon Palethorpe who is also an e-com veteran uh, when I was at Amazon he was at buy.com and we both sort of had this idea that e-commerce was definitely going to continue but there was a challenge to e-commerce um, by the time you know you get to the you know the, the second decade of the 21st century, which is that um, it's very hard to compete against Amazon in e-commerce. You know the big behemoth is still Amazon, and I think part of the reason for that is that in physical retail, you know the, the secret's always been location, location, location. But in e-tail, for a bunch of different reasons, it became search. So if you think about like how most people purchase online and how most people discover. It's actually through search. And Amazon dominates this. Yes, I know we can talk about Google and everything, but actually if you go to Google or to Bing or anything else, you actually generally end up going to Amazon. Um, and it's very difficult to compete with them there. At the same time, there is a whole category of different products, which I think generally food falls into um, and hospitality probably falls into too, where you need a bit of advice and curation. And that's sort of where maybe the music insights, the last FM, because, you know, the best form of discovery I think anyone's ever had in media is, is, is basically, you know, what radio had with DJs and the John Peels. And so we thought about, well, which product categories are there where we can launch and try and almost curate and DJ a service to help people discover what's great. And we looked around a bit. Both of us really like chocolate. And we did a bit more digging and we discovered that, you know, 
everything was sort of looking rosy and wonderful at this point that, that, that you know, we spend more on chocolate in the UK than we do on books or music. And um, yet, you know, we know very, very little about it. And at the same time, there was this craft chocolate revolution, which I think we'll talk a little bit about later, just emerging. And people didn't really understand what it was all about. But the amazing thing about chocolate is that, you know, if you want to pick one product which you can get people to change in their diet, which will have a huge impact on their own approach towards food, their own health, and also help the planet and help the farmers, I would argue that it's chocolate. And that's super interesting, but I just want to touch on something else you said. You just talked about like the, the product that can stand out is the one where you facilitate, help, educate the, the consumer, not like in a parent-child kind of way, but you actually take them on a journey and make them more engaged in things. And I think you, you, I've seen that. You see that with Singerman's and yeah. Sean Eskinosi as well. Yeah. And they both in food, but they actually spend a lot of time on selling, you know, they have great products, but they spend a lot of time on selling solutions and educations around food, food tours, it's chocolate the, it, tasting. You're tasting. absolutely right. It's the experience. I mean, I mean, you know, if we just take a good category, you know, in many ways, what I think chocolate needs to do is replicate what the coffee industry, the specialty coffee industry, which you know very well, has done, which is that you use the experience, you use the theatre of the hospitality, you use the barista to engage the consumer, not in a sort of parent-child, not in a teacher environment, but very much to sort of enthuse them and get them to understand. And that's what we very much want to do with chocolate. Um, and you know, our main means of doing it, as you know, because you came to one of them, are either our virtual or our in-person tastings, because that's where we can communicate the passion, the excitement, and also help you understand some things which you otherwise may not have yet got into. It was quite interesting because I'm involved in a couple of businesses and, and when we talk a bit about that, you know, the product has to be really good. Mm -hmm. And I think Sean Askinosi actually talks about that. The product just has to be good, but exactly all the other things you do to set you apart from the others. And it's not just, you know, Lots of people talk about the, it's, it's your company culture, but it can also be the way you actually make people's life better. Because if you get knowledge about something you, you're interested in, you actually get confidence and you get you know stress release and so on and so on. And it's quite interesting. You see companies right now that are standing out and might, it's a difficult time, but what I've seen in hospitality, they, they the, the companies that does that and go beyond the product, and actually really lean into the educational angle really now starts to, you know, see why they have such strong proposition and might go through this next phase of how many years this uh, inflation thing, chaos in the world, going to impact business. Yeah, and I think that's very true. I mean, I think, I mean, you know, the industries that we look up to are industries like the wine industry, and again, to sort of go back to it, the coffee industry, the cheese industry. I mean, you know, look at what Neil's Yard, someone like Bronwyn does. This, you know, you, if you go to Neil's Yard, you come out not just with a fantastic cheese because they guarantee the quality of all their cheeses and, you know, Bronwyn's a brilliant buyer, but also they will have taught you a little bit about what you didn't know about what sort of cheeses you like and a little bit about why it tastes the way it is, why the flavor gives it that way. And I think it's, you know, we, we bandy around storytelling, we bandy around words like, you know, um, thought leadership, but actually, that's really what it's all about. 
it, it, it's really all about figuring out how to communicate what makes it different and what makes it important. And, and you know, with chocolate, you know, one of the reasons why I love chocolate is, to me, we've sort of, for the last 30, 50 years, been going down this awful ultra-processed food sort of bandwagon of basically just focusing on sugar, salt, fat, tastes, and not thinking about savoring. We've been more about scoffing. But the wonderful thing about craft chocolate is that it's all about coaxing the flavor out of the bean and just getting people to think about that journey sort of automatically puts people in a different position in a different way. And, and that's the sort of start of actually sort of the journey, I think. Um, you mentioned before when I took you a bit back to talk about the product, you also said like, you know, chocolate can have quite a huge impact on, you know, not just your own experience, but also on the environment, the yeah. planet, humanity. Can you dive into that? Because that's really what I think is really interesting. Well, for me, like, okay, wow, in the food chain, chocolate, exactly. Yeah. So, Very so important. It, it's hugely important. So, so to, to put it in context, you know, again, back to the basic numbers, we spend five billion pounds a year in the UK on chocolate. That's a lot more than we spend on books or music. Having said that, we don't think very much about it. We don't even realize that it's a fruit. And if you think about actually how much water, for example, is required to make a bar of chocolate, it's about one and a half to 2,000 liters of water. That is a lot of water. That's oh, basically wow. enough baths to keep anybody going for at least a couple of months. Yeah. It's a huge amount. It puts almost any other fruit or vegetable in the shade. And in fact, if you look at the sort of, one of the fascinating things about chocolate is that and in terms of its environmental impact, it can either be one of the worst or one of the best products that you can have. And the reason for this is that a lot, in fact, the majority of chocolate is grown in such a way that it involves massive deforestation. So if you go to somewhere like the Cote d'Ivoire or Ghana, which is where 70% of the world's chocolate comes from, there used to be, you know, over 50% virgin rainforest. By 1990, they're below 30%. They're now down at, you know, less than 2 or 3%. And a lot of this is because basically you've got slash and burn agriculture growing things like chocolate. And this is disastrous, not just for the rainforest, but it's also disastrous because the water you need, you pull up from the ground. And so you're getting deserts there too. So that's the sort of environmental impact. And then on the other side, because of the way that, for want of a better term, sort of big chocolate approaches chocolate, it's become a commodity. And the way that the chocolate industry is organized, and this is a gross simplification, but again, if you take that 70% of the world's chocolates coming from these countries in Africa, you've got you know, 5 million plus farmers, but you've got less than a dozen companies who are purchasing almost all that chocolate, almost all that cacao. And so you've sort of got this monopsony. So that even though demand for chocolate is going up, because you can always get more supply, the price has actually been going down. And in practical terms, this means that the average cocoa farmer, if they're male, is getting paid less than 80 cents a day. And if they're female, it's less than 25 cents a day. To put that in context, they need at least two and a half to three dollars a day to live on. And that's the reason why you have all these issues around children, you know, working in a lot of the cocoa farms. Yes, sometimes the parents want them to be there too. And it's a very complicated issue. But fundamentally, the problem is, is that farmers do not get paid enough to live on. And so there's no way they can afford their, the education for their children. So it's a sort of, you know, and yet on the other hand, if you purchase craft chocolate, which isn't that much more expensive, you know, our bars start at three or four pounds and, 
even you know some of our most wonderful bars they're not going to be very much more than 10 pounds and most of them are you know four five six or seven pounds so not that much more and they're going to last a lot longer but in all cases we basically pay a premium to the farmers which is anywhere between three times the commodity rate to up to 15 times and sort of we know literally every where every one of our bars over 1500 bars we know where not just where they're all made but we know where the beans are being grown and we know how the farmers and the co-ops are being properly and sustainably over the long term given proper contracts to work with yeah and that, that's interesting you're saying that but i wanted to come back to because i'm just going to come back to that again because you are having quite a range of brands so there's lots to to manage there but you also you know you you created a name that's called cacao runners and why that name and how is that connected to both your you know you had some commercial insights to start this business but also you as just here you had like a deep purpose of you want to change something in the world that's like feels like can be changed very easily if we shift the dial on who is paid what yes i think that's right it, it i think we still believe after you know almost 10 years of doing it that that it should be possible to sort of change the world if we can just get people to think a little bit more about the chocolate they're eating, why they're eating it, and how it relates to everything else. And and the essential point is that you know chocolate is extraordinary. It, it, we literally we source chocolate from Saigon to San Francisco, Brooklyn to Budapest, Copenhagen to Cleethorpes, and you know we have beans from all different parts of the world. Lots of places which people don't you know immediately assume are actually cocoa growing regions like for example Australia or like Taiwan and India too but but basically it's, it's all about running around the world in search of the world's best chocolates and, and that's what we want to try and do and help people find them so we probably taste any year you know three to five thousand bars inside the team and yet we'll probably only take on a couple of hundred and we sort of you know we'll rotate some of them so 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 you know we, we that's where I think the DJ analogy holds. You know, there's a lot of music out there. Um, what you listen to John Peel for, or at least what I listened to John Peel for, was that I knew that he was going to find me some interesting music that was just going to stimulate and interest me. And that's the that's the sort of promise that we're trying to make. You know, that we guarantee that the the, the maker will be crafting this to bring out the flavour of the beans, not just sort of assuming that you can add taste and texture in the factory, but actually it's all about focusing on the bean. But also we know where those beans come from and then that they are going to take you on a voyage of delight in terms of the flavor you get whether they're milk white or dark or inclusion or whatever and you just talked about before and you're coming back to that again you know tracking the supply chain up and downstream and i know i have interviewed sean eskenosi yeah. and i know they have this program around you know direct to the farmer you know pay direct to the farmer but also radical transparency they put up what they pay the farmer on yep. the website it's very easy to see and that's it every business did that in the world will probably also be in a different place because that actually you have to take some responsibility then when you do that and you have to go and do it it's like you're putting yourself under huge scrutiny doing that but they're still doing that is that what how do you actually you know because sean Askinos is quite easy to say yeah you yeah. have sean Askinosi chocolate i know that's good but how do you do because every company i guess you have access to different information and that curation you do how do you ensure that what comes in your it's, boxes is like lives up to 
the standards, you know, no slavery. So that's the, a great question. The farmer question. is paid. That, that's well. a great question. And, and Sean Eskenazi, by the way, is, is one of the great heroes, yeah. and Lauren and everybody else. And Sean actually, you know, is, 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 is also extraordinary in how long he's been doing this for, but also his approach where literally he goes out directly to the farmers. Now, not all of our makers can do that. Um, but, but a lot of them will try and go out. And it's very important because, you know, to create great chocolate, you need great beans. And, you know, the great beans is not just a question of the, the varietal, but it's also a question of how well they've been harvested, how well they've been fermented, how well they've been dried. But specifically to answer your question, what we do is that whenever we bring on a new maker, we spend a long time interviewing them. We actually build up a profile of them. Um, uh, we will generally try and visit them. Even if we couldn't do that during COVID, we would arrange for a visit over Skype. We'd get them to show us around their factory. We'll talk to them about how they craft it. Because what we don't want them doing is essentially most chocolate that people eat is what we call chicken nuggets. And that's not to disparage chicken nuggets. It's just to sort of say that most chocolate is made out of something which is in the trade called couverture, which basically means you buy in big blocks of chocolate and you um, add a bit of flavoring to them and you then package them up. That's a little bit like buying some chicken nuggets, you know, and sticking that in the microwave and giving that as a meal. That's a fine meal, but it's not the same as buying a chicken, roasting it and, you know, putting all the herbs in and everything else yourself. It's a very different approach. You're going to get a different flavor out of it. And so what we want our makers to do is to actually buy the beans themselves directly and also be in control of every step of the roasting, every step of the conching, every step of the grinding, every step of the tempering, etc. That's how we deal with the makers. How we deal with the farmers is a little bit more complicated. So what we generally will try and do with the farmers and the cooperatives is we will also talk directly to them. So for the website, we do actually list every single one of our makers and we won't list a bar unless we know where the beans come from. We're in the process of building up a profile of each of the different um, co-ops or farms where beans come from. We haven't got there completely yet, but we'll get there in the next 12 to 18 months. But again, we will not sell a bar unless we know where the beans come from. And, and one of the strange things about chocolate where it's a little bit like coffee, but it's not really like wine in this, is that you can basically get different makers using the same beans from the same harvest from the same farm. So it's actually sort of quite interesting to see the different interpretation of something like Bertil Arkesen's Madagascan Sambarano um, beans, um, you know, which will be very different if someone like Chris Brennan gets hold of them from Pump Street to say, for example, Brian Graham of Fruition gets hold of them. And similarly, you know, Coco Camille from Tanzania is another great example. Lots of different makers using those beans or, um, you know, latitudes from Uganda, again, the same situation. You, we touched a bit on the model that makes you unique, your business model. We talked a bit about this in education, but just to give an overview. So how do you actually, you know, you, how do you have both the, the e-commerce size, which is your experience, you have the, the hospitality angle and you have some education. Can you talk a bit about that model and how it works from a customer point of view and how you actually make the business work? Yeah, so it's, it, that's a great question again, and it's evolved. So initially, Simon and my belief was that we'd actually set up a subscription business. And part of the reason for this is that chocolate's quite cyclical. So a lot of the sales are, as you'd expect them to be in Q4 and around sort of other holidays. 
But what we thought would be interesting is taking a leaf out of the game, the wine industry, where you have things like you know, the wine clubs, where we would basically be able to find customers because we can't find customers through relying on internet search. We actually have to find other ways to get out there, which is where the education bit comes in. But the backbone to Cocoa Runners has always been the idea that you will get four different bars of chocolate every month. And you can choose whether you want them to be dark only, whether you want them to be dark and milk, etc. But the essential promise is the John Peel, the, the, the playlist of different chocolates. And it's cheaper to buy them that way. You'll get the stories behind the beans and everything. Um, and then, you know, as you quite rightly pointed out, is then, well, then how do we persuade people? And that's where we've been evolving the business a bit more. So, you know, one of the sort of interesting things about COVID and lockdown was that we were able to move our in-person tastings to being virtual and on Zoom. And even though we're no longer in lockdown, we actually have continued those and we do those every week. And, um, you know, we've tried to make them interactive. You do get to taste the chocolate. Mm. And in some ways, they're actually better because, you, you know, it, the great thing about the internet is it can be quite anonymous. And so we will actually get you to tell us what you're tasting, what you're enjoying, your answers to the quiz questions. But it's all anonymous, so you don't have to get embarrassed. So it's not like, you know, when you're at a wine tasting and you're put on the spot and you've got to suddenly sort of, <laughs> how do I describe it? You, you don't have to, it's, it's, you know, it's much more relaxed than that. But I think that education bit is one of the challenges for craft chocolates. It's very difficult for us to actually explain what makes craft chocolate different and how customers can identify this. We don't have the advantage of, say, Neil's Yard with its amazing sort of retail um, experience. We don't have the advantage of wine bars. We don't have the advantage of even the baristas in specialty coffee. And it's very interesting because I see similarities with the, the food we buy in supermarkets. And you talked about hyper-processed food. This is one of my missions. Uh, yeah. I, We're united at the hip on that one. Uh, it's difficult to say. I understand that we need, we need actually every human has a right to real natural food. And it shouldn't be expensive. It should be a right so you can actually eat proper food. So you don't have to subsidize it to a very yeah. high sugar, fat kind of meal because that's cheaper than doing real food so i think that's what's really interesting with chocolate as well and it's and then i think that's really interesting when you see people's buying behaviors in the supermarket as you're observing that and it's not because there's nothing wrong but that's because it's just how it is that's the system has the food system has educated in that's the way you should do it the convenience bit of it as yeah well. so i i think i i think we will look back on this era and be very, very skeptical as to how we allowed ultra-processed food to do what it's doing, not just to the environment, but to our health. I mean, as you sort of, we've discussed this before, I mean, food is medicine. Yeah. You know, if you want to be healthy, you have to not just exercise, but you have to have a good diet. Yeah. Ultra-processed food, you know, in the name of making the big food companies more money because it's commoditized and it's much cheaper and it's much easier and you scoff it, is extremely, you know, it, it's not a good solution for the environment. It's not a good solution for your health. It's not a good solution for your weight. And it, and, and it's all around impulse buying. It, it's, it's, it's getting you to buy without thinking. And actually, you don't really want to do that. You want to think a bit. You want to give thanks a bit um, because you'll get more pleasure in that. And, you know, it, 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 you know without wishing to sort of sound, you know, so new agey or anything like mm. that, it is worth being mindful about what you eat. You know, you're mindful about the exercise you take, so why not be mindful, you know, about other stuff? How do you bring that like very powerful purpose you have as a business 
how do you bring that to life every day how do you keep it alive because there's no doubt about this like you know it's hard to do the right thing in business and i heard lots of people that's been on the podcast like yeah you need to be ready to make a decision that may be financially sometimes not give 100 sense right now but over time it will and you might not put your finger on it i think sean eskinosi tom barton varnesberg are talked about as well yeah. He talked about regenerative farming when i started suggesting that he said like everybody thought i was gone nuts because that's going to cost a billion but it's about how do you actually then make sure it becomes a viable thing yeah so i think that's right i mean i think some of the things is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that is unfairly subsidized and, and one of those is definitely sugar mm. i mean you know i think that 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 sugar is you know now becoming the, the sort of you know the new great demon but sugar definitely has is really problematic in the human body is not designed to consume the amount of sugar that we're throwing at it at the moment you know and we use sugar by the way not just as a sweetener but we use it as a preservative as a stabilizer etc and it's incredibly cheap i mean you know the reason why over 50% of most supermarket chocolate you know whether they be tonies or dairy milk or anything else is sugar is because it's incredibly cheap you know like literally you know it's going to be less than a penny the amount of sugar in it and the chocolate isn't going to be that much more either but you know it'll be a bit more and and i think that 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 we have to get people to do a little bit more thinking about how and what they're doing and i think it it, it comes from moving from savoring not scoffing but it's also just changing people just to think a little bit more about how you should buy um and what you should be buying and you do have to take a long term approach to this so i think that you know um i mean i i'm sort of i i'm hugely in favor of the idea of not allowing you know buy one get one freeze on confectionery and other products which are very high in fats and sugars and salts and everything else like that but i worry that we're almost sort of like playing into the hands of people who don't want the customer to think i mean we should be able to turn over you know any product that we buy and look at the ingredients we should automatically be thinking about where do those beans come from where is it made in the case of you know 99% of chocolate bars sold in the uk you will not be able to find out where the beans come from or where the chocolate's made and that's probably a good reason for that they don't know they don't want you to know mm. you know that, that, i mean literally you know it's an amalgamation because it's been all commoditized but that that should tell us all something and we shouldn't like need the government to sort of say well because it's got lots of fat and sugar in it you're not going to be allowed to buy two for the price of one i think that's letting people off a bit lightly i think you have to take a little bit more personal responsibility and ownership for the sort of stuff that you do but your your question is how do you make a business out of this it's very hard i mean you know you know big food is all about impulse buying brands it's all about commoditization it's all about scoffing um and you know they're very very good at at, at greenwashing um and you know claiming to be doing things I mean like the way that they you know fair trade is a fantastic idea it doesn't work brilliantly for chocolate but put that to one side but it's 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 an absolute travesty now that every supermarket and every brand has come up with their own version of fair trade which just confuses the consumers and half the time they are just greenwashing mm. yeah and when do you know it's right or wrong yeah and what do, I mean, do most consumers know what mass balance is yeah. in fair trade you know because no. also your buying decisions are made within three seconds if you take it retail and i think also in the restaurant setting you're sitting with the menu your decisions comes quite quickly they come quite impulsive in a way and you don't want to spend that long on that decision 
in your busy life, you do your thing. Okay, it signals the right thing from the front uh, because I was part of a we were out doing some 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 observation and we found out that you know it was probably nine out of ten times nobody turned around yeah. the packaging and looked at the back of the product or asked questions in in a restaurant setting as well. There's very few customers ask where did that meat come from? Yeah, where did that no. bean come from? And it's not about pointing finger and creating a culture around that, but like being mindful, as you said, how did you then, you know, as you scaled the business, how do you then been able to build that community around us? Because I guess what I get a feel from and what I've observed on the website, so when I've been talking to you, you have like quite a, a loyal following and there's people, the, the supports this journey and maybe yeah. also people that have been totally converted from. So, so we're lucky that we have a lot of support from the makers and the growers and some of the distributors. But I think, I think one of the things that chocolate's amazing at is that it's an amazing sort of, sort of lens to look at anything you want. So, so you know, you can look at how theobromine and caffeine work on the nervous system because they're both in chocolate. And you know, you can look at. Um, the way that you know one of the best um, known adverts for chocolate involved a gorilla drumming, and you know literally in the last couple of months we've suddenly discovered that not gorillas but actually chimpanzees actually do drum, mm -hmm. and those those chimpanzees live in forests where we actually harvest some cacao. So so I think one of the fun things is that we've got a product here where it delights everybody. Everybody loves trying it. You know it, it's not like coffee which divides some people. Um, it, 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 everybody loves it, or well, almost everybody, and it's just got amazing complexity because you know you can use it to explain everything from your gut microbiome. You can definitely use it to explain how flavour works. It's amazing for that. Maybe we should come back to that. But also, if you want to explore how food impacts everybody on the supply chain and also the environment, chocolate is very, very simple. I mean, chocolate is you know at its at its essence, when you buy a bar of chocolate, it should have two or three ingredients. The cocoa beans, a bit of sugar, and if it's a milk chocolate, a bit of milk. And we should be able to just think about those and appreciate where they come from and just start using that as a tool just to think a little bit more about what is going on here. How does food get made and work? And what does it do to us? Well, maybe that's a, a, a sign and not to. We should try a bit of the chocolate over there. You, you kindly have said I could... Yeah, we take, definitely take can, home. and I'll give you a, a fresh bar of this. So we're going to basically try something slightly different. We're going to try a bar from India. Yeah. Uh, this is a bar made by actually a, um, a, a, a it, it's actually made by two couples who are related by marriage. So it's actually sort of two sisters and then uh, their, 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 their brothers-in-law sort of run it too. But the packaging, for example, is all designed by... Um, it's beautiful packaging. It's, it's great like, packaging. Uh, it's it's like very, looks very premium, like gold kind of thing. But and yeah. I realise that we're doing this sort of without without any sort of video cues. But I'm actually going to give people, the, which you well know, yeah. one of the great secrets to a bar of chocolate is is in addition to sort of checking what's on the label and everything. The first thing you should do before you eat a piece of chocolate is sniff it, but then you should also snap it. And the snap is incredibly important because what the snap does is it tells you that it's in temper. And this is going to show off one of chocolate's most amazing features, which is that it's, I think, the only substance which is stable at room temperature and then literally melts when you put it in your mouth. Now, there may be a few fats which do that, but, but mm. you know, ice cream doesn't count because it no. melts before you've got yeah. it. 
But, but the great thing about chocolate is it's an amazing tool to explain actually how flavor works. So if you want, we can give it a yeah, quick Yeah, let's, let's give it a go we because we talked about taste before. So. so what should happen is, is that you will get a little bit of texture. And so you want to start thinking about, is it smooth? Is it grainy? Is it silky? Is it velvety? As you're thinking about that, after about five, 10 seconds, you will then start to get some tastes. So a little bit of sweetness, maybe, maybe a little bit of bitterness, mm -hmm. but then also some flavors will come through. So maybe some smokiness, maybe some caramel, and more of the texture will come through. And what's happening is the chocolate has within it things like tannins and some sugars, etc. But those are basically hitting your taste sensors, which you've got in your mouth, tongue all the way down to your gut but also what's happening is that the chocolate is melting and that releases aromas and volatiles and this is where humans are so wonderful and unique because we can detect flavors and volatiles not just by sniffing not just by that sense of smell but also we smell when we put something in our mouths and that's where chocolate that's why this snap is so important because what chocolate is just amazing at is revealing all those different flavors which humans are capable of experiencing. And unfortunately, most other animals can't. They get taste, but they don't get flavors. Yeah, and as I've been, you know, I've always, you know, thought I was buying okay chocolate and, you know, like anyone else, we have guilty pleasures, you know, and I thought when I, I like some, some dark chocolate sometimes in the afternoon just with my coffee, just like one piece. And as I was doing this tasting with you, and especially my mom, who's an old hospitality woman, and I was explaining her like the complexity of and the impact chocolate had. Like even her in her seventies, late seventies, like was like feeling quite bad about because she she doesn't eat much chocolate, but actually the amount of money it costs to trade up. So she's already she went in and <laughs> emptied some of my dad's milk chocolate and turned it a bin and said, We're gonna buy some new tomorrow. And we went into town and she she just bought one bar are very nice and they're still like two or three weeks off they still yep. have it and they have it for afternoon coffee and i think that's where i have it for myself as well yep. i mean less is more yeah I mean, and less is more less is that's more. exactly I mean, where I, mean, I wanted to get to yeah yeah i mean i think the great thing is is that you know actually you'll end up spending less on chocolate i probably had about not even even a, a, a whole piece yet but i already feel i had enough i had just had a little taste so chocolate's it's phenomenally you know full of all sorts of nutrients. That's one of the reasons why it became so popular when it was brought over by the Spaniards after the discovery in the New World. And it was used to so basically fill you up on fasting days, etc. But it is very nutritious and it is very filling, especially if you savor it, because that slows it down. And you, you don't feel like scoffing. I mean, the, the problem with most mass-produced chocolate bars is they are designed for you to scoff and swallow it all. The in sugar and the fat. Sugar, the salt, the fat. That's exactly it. You know, what do you do when you've had a Pringle? You want to have another one. Once you pop, yep. you can't stop. It's the same with mass-produced confectionery. So, so you know, we are, that's the reason why we've designed it. Our box is basically having four bars in it for the subscription. Is, is basically, that's what probably a couple or a family can deal with in a month. Yeah. You, know, you just have a couple of squares. Some people have it in the morning. Most people have it actually in the evening. Yeah. Um, or maybe with their tea or their coffee in the afternoon. But most people have it almost at the end of a meal because we like having something sweet. Yeah. It does literally aid digestion. That's another great thing which chocolate can sort of show you. If, you know, if you want to sort of understand why you, why you have a second stomach, chocolate is an amazingly good uh, product to explain that to you. And you can literally test it out on yourself. But, but, but yeah, 
and you know, so you won't end up spending more on chocolate, but the farmers will end up getting more money from you. Yeah. Um, another question I was like hanging, I wanted to ask you about today as well. That you say it's a hard business to 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 run and and to grow, and and you're still around after many years, almost a decade, and. Um, But what is your approach to growth? Because I guess doing the right thing, as uh, Sean Eskinoso said, when is enough enough? And yeah. How big can a business like this become and still do the right thing? So I think we could become a lot bigger and still do the right thing. So to sort of, you know, put some numbers in it, you know, if you think about craft beer, I don't know whether it's 15, 25, it depends on the country, percent of the craft beer market. But it's a significant number. Um, and you know, coffee is anywhere between you know twenty to twenty-five, depending on the different countries, etc. Um, specialty chocolate or craft chocolate is minuscule. It's still incredibly hard. I mean, you know, we discussed this with Sean Askinosi. I mean, we're deeply honoured to be one of the places that you can buy Sean Askinosi's chocolate outside the US. And we've, you know, we, with his permission, we also put it into a few coffee stores here and there throughout the UK, but it is very, very hard. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it is extremely hard to get craft chocolate in retail, physical retail. It's it's almost always an online experience for most people. There are a few coffee stores selling it. Whole Foods to have a good line, which we work with them on. But, but you know, the, the supermarkets at best will have willies and that's it. Um, and this is, you know, a tragedy and a travesty, um, which we have to figure out a way to fix. So I think... There is a lot of room for more craft chocolate, but I think, you know, we talked about this as well a little bit before. I mean, I think where do you have impact? I mean, I passionately believe that chocolate, if you can get people to change one product and get them to eat healthier, get them to eat so that it's going to save the planet, get them to eat so that it's going to basically help the farmers a bit more. Chocolate is very difficult to beat. And it also teaches you about flavor and a different way of thinking about food. So. If we can just get that thinking a little bit more prevalent, then you know that's 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 as important as as you know Cocoa Runners having hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Mm. If we can just get that that thought process, which is you know what people like Maxwell in coffee have done, what people like James Hoffman have done as well in coffee. You know they've got you to think about this as being more than just a way to get your caffeine fix. It's quite interesting talking about growth, but also come over to that. What role do you think that you know food and drinks businesses play in making the world a better place? Because I tried to find them here on the show. The, the businesses that is a force for good, and they are involved in food, and sometimes they are very hospitality centric, but also they sometimes they do different things like you. Chuck, but what is the role of food? In, in changing that? I think that's a fantastic question. And I, that's one of the reasons why I love what you're doing and how you're doing it. Because actually, you know, we've got lots of people who are phenomenally fixated on saving the planet. But actually, you know, we're going to save the planet through food. I mean, you know, the, you know, if you look at the, the, the you know, the, the, the stuff that's really damaging the environment, a lot of that is to do with food, not just the food itself. It's not just, you know, the, the, the destruction of the rainforest for more cattle. It's not just that. It's also the fact that, you know, a lot of um, oil and gas and energy is wasted transferring food needlessly around lots of different parts of the world. Um, so, so I think food is hugely important in this and very, very underrepresented. And it's also incredibly important because, you know, if you want people to be healthy, 
you've got to put the right food into people. You know, I mean, it, it, eating bad food is bad for you. You know, it's, it's obvious. Mm. And, and, you know, it may be, you know, easy to get people to sort of, you know, have more sugary drinks, to have more, you know, snacks, which are full of heaven knows what. But that's not a good thing. Yeah, and I guess that if you are a business leader, that's are you in food, you can really leave a legacy by making the right choices within your company and then try to inspire people to understand why you made those choices and and then it, we start making it more normal to do that. Because I guess that the problem is that the we are talking about in food and business kind of thing, that the percentage is not high of these companies because it's sometimes difficult to find them. It's very difficult to find them. And it's because we've changed in the way that we think about food. And the UK is, you know, sadly, sort of, you know, probably on the wrong side of this, this trend line at the moment, which is that, you know, the, the secret of ultra-processed food is that they believe that you can create taste and texture in the factory and commodify all the ingredients. The wonderful thing about great food is that it's full of flavor and they're very different you know taste and texture we've understood for a long time you know taste we know how to engineer very very good food scientists about it flavor is completely different you know the, the lady who worked out how the olfactory system worked linda buck got the nobel prize for this in 2004 that's very recent we still don't understand huge aspects of it but what we do know is that it's a unique human attribute and that nature is phenomenally good at having stuff full of flavor. And if you want to eat stuff that's healthy, if you focus on stuff that's full of flavor, as opposed to sugar, salt, and fat, which are all tastes, you are in a good place. If you could like choose you know, one thing you would like to see changed in probably in the chocolate industry in this incident, what is it that you would like to see changed? So I would like somebody to figure out what I sort of call the salted caramel trick. Mm-hmm. And we haven't done this in Kraft Chocolate. So I want this solution. And what I mean by the salted caramel trick is this. If you go back to the, well, you and I were growing up, the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, whatever, you had to be deeply ironic to take, instead of a bottle of wine or some flowers to a dinner party, a box of chocolates. Because basically you were going to be taking, you know, sort of celebrations or quality street or after eights or something. It doesn't matter with any of those, but... It's not quite the same as taking a nice bottle of wine. But during the 2000s, we suddenly discovered these salted caramels. Mm. And those are definitely acceptable at dinner parties. <laughs> and I think that sort of helped put at least one side of the chocolate world, you know, the, 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 what I sort of call the bonbon side, which we don't really deal with very much, although we may start dealing with it a bit more, um, on the map. And the, the issue for craft chocolate, I think in part, is that we don't know how to get our salted caramel moment you know when you think about a craft beer and you go into a pub it's actually pretty easy to show how cool you are by ordering some sort of weird ipa or something i'm not very good on beer so forgive me on this but similarly you know if you and i were going to meet in a coffee shop we probably would try and pick a specialty coffee store because it's cooler chocolate craft chocolate you know as you were sort of saying you you, you have it in a different way. It's not a simple upgrade. We aren't a, you know, impulse buy where you're going to get your sugar fix. We're deliberately not that. You know, we don't sell bars where the first ingredient is sugar. 
And so we, we, we have to figure out like, how to get people to have a different habit and a different approach. Um, so it's, we've, definitely, we've definitely set ourselves a difficult, but very, very rewarding and challenging goal. Well, I guess you're also thrown out there as any suggestions that should reach out to you on how you, you crack that, because I can see that shifting. Yeah, come, come to behavior. anyone. We'd love to have anybody come to a, a virtual tasting. You know, we do them every week. You can get them at cookerunners.com. Uh, and anybody who's got any suggestions, just stay on at the end of it or just write to me directly. And we'd love those suggestions. What about um, you? You are a human being, you're a business leader. We are going through, I wouldn't even say the last couple of years, it's feeling like we're going through this period of time in business and life where there's a lot of change. Has like been any significant learnings? Because really interesting through the podcast I meet a lot of people through my network and, and when you sit down and talk with them, not in an interview, there's like been these moments of reflection of changing something. How it's been for you? So I think you sort of hinted at it earlier on. For me, this journey now is 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 is, is a really long journey. So, you know, when I was sort of doing Last FM, which was the when I was doing Last FM, which was the precursor to Spotify. Um, you know, that was that was a clear, you know, great startup. It was the sort of, you know, established, very tough times, did very well, very nice exit. Similarly, I've been involved in, you know, lots of other great startups, you know, it, it, lots of, and, and watch those. But they have a sort of relatively simple life cycle. Simple, not meant to be in any way pejorative. This is really a long-term activity. I mean, th this is never going to be finished. Getting people to eat properly, think properly about farmers, think properly about the planet. You know, chocolate is just one of the aspects of getting people to do that. Um, so, so I think that's one of the things which this has taught me is that this is, this is a really long road to hope, which, which is, but it's a great road to hope. And it almost feel like your personal purpose that can be reactivated again and again on different levels as you yeah. follow that journey. Yeah, I think that's right. There's always new challenges. There's always new stuff to learn about. I mean, you know, the lovely thing about the weekly email is I can always find something interesting and new just to dive into using chocolate as the lens. But but yeah no I think that for me it, this is a this is very much a sort of if if we can get people more and more people to upgrade to craft chocolate then 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 that's good for everybody good for them good for the farmers good for the planet yeah. good for thinking about food in general really interesting gone from yeah that you found that you know some people call it a calling almost and you saw when you talk with Sean Eskenosi I Weinzweig uh, Dave Lockwood from. Niels Jarl's Dairy, yep. Monica Linton, they all on that journey within their different areas of finding out how can we actually spread the words of this great food and what it does to you I, as a human being. I think, it's a I think it's it's a vacation yeah. as opposed to a job. Mm. It's definitely not a vacation. It's definitely <laughs> much more of a vocation. And, you know, Sean is fantastic at this, you know, because yeah. he's a, you know, lay, you know, um, Trappist as well and, and you know an extraordinary gentleman in lots and lots and lots of different ways but clearly this is his you know he moved away from being a barrister or um, an attorney uh, and this is now his vocation yeah. and that's true of a lot of people in craft chocolate you know they get into it because it's this amazing product which is just you know they can't believe the complexities of the flavors and just you know how it will change everybody's life for the better and I guess in general food hospitality yeah. is for many people that and that's why it's so important that 
we get it done right. So I think you know you hit upon this absolutely right. The, the essential thing about hospitality and where it's different from mass-produced ultra-processed food and the FMCG brands and everything is you've got a purpose and it's an experience that you're trying to communicate rather than just trying to get people to do things on impulse. You're actually really trying to get people to enjoy it. People who are good at hospitality like you are very, very passionate, very, very enthusiastic and very clear about why it is, what they're doing and why they're doing it. What uh, what book would you give away nine out of ten times? Because when I had my first conversation, you threw two books of me that's on my my reading list now. But if you were like giving a book away now to to the audience, so I think there are two books that I think are fantastic, which I've given away. I think probably more than ten times in the last decade, I and mean, so the last year. Um, if you're interested in chocolate, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend Christy Lysel's Cocoa. It's, she's an absolutely lovely lady, really an extraordinary lady who lived in Ghana as a white woman, gained the trust of the cocoa farmers out there, written the most brilliant book on chocolate, very, very nuanced, very, very fair to everybody. And then if you're into flavor, which to me is sort of, you know, the way that we're going to actually sort of crack this ultra processed food, there's an extraordinary um, sort of philosopher who's become a neuroscientist called Anne-Sophie Barwich, who's written something called Smellosophy. So, you know, sort of pun on philosophy and smells, but called Smellosophy, which I, I can't recommend strongly enough. Absolutely fantastic book, which is just full of all sorts of insights about flavor and gets you thinking in different ways. Great. And I got the last one. Smellosophy is on my bookshelf at home. I haven't started reading it because I'm very interested in another thing I'm involved in where we exactly are using yeah, so you're the taste. Yeah, and you, you, you're definitely using taste. I think also flavor too. And you're yeah. going you know, to work a bit with... Umami and Oli yeah. Muretsu would probably be my suggestion for your books. Mm. But, but yeah. Um, what would your uh, uh, advice be to, to leaders out there that want to, you know, change the world through business, use business as a force for good, as I say? What would your top advice be for them? So I think that you hit upon this earlier. I think it's the difference between thinking about it as a vacation and thinking about it as a career. Mm-hmm. It's not just a job. You've got to really believe and identify and why you're doing it. So I think that that, that, that's the first bit. And then the second bit is surround yourself by people who are smarter and better than you. You know, the the rest of it is, you know, you you, you often talk about Tim Collins, good to great. And I think there are lots of great insights in that sort of stuff. Um, And so, you know, if you want those insights, they're fantastic, you definitely get them. But, But I think always try and work with people who are stimulating, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and, and like-minded in the sense of having similar vocations. They, they, you can radically disagree with them, but they yeah. be, be passionate and care about what they do. Yeah, the radical disagreement is the absolutely most important because exactly many times in company culture, you're, it's looked wrong that you disagree, but exactly that's the most healthy organization where you, you know, disagree in a graceful way, I yeah. always say. You are not, it's not about the person, it's about the course. It's about the course, yeah. And, and don't, don't work in places where you're worried about eggshells. So don't, don't, don't yeah. you know, just as, you know, you don't want to be treading on eggshells. What is the um, one question you wish to have asked you and what have, would that been and what would have been your answer? I think you've answered quite a few of them. Um, so I think what I probably would have done is 
I wish you'd asked me a question like, why is it so hard to persuade people to try craft chocolate? Because I'd mm. have flipped it back on you and tried to learn from you. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I mean, one of the reasons why I love your podcast is I often find that I'm thinking about what would my answer be to those questions. So I love the one with Sean Askinosu because, you know, anybody can answer the questions that you asked him. He just has particularly inspiring answers to it. But I think that one of your great geniuses is that you are very, very good at asking good questions and that helps you get to the answer. So I would love to have flipped a question back onto you. Yeah, what question would you like to flip on me? Why is it so hard to get people to eat craft chocolate, upgrade to craft chocolate? Yeah, I think if I answer that question from my own experience and what I'm working with, besides the podcast or any behavioral change you need to do, is that I think we are, we are, you know, we are so impacted by a system that has built over years, the food systems, and we trust or believe still, or I think there's more skepticism that it's set up for the right reason to feed us and not to go hungry to bed. But actually, it's the, the opposite. It's, 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 it's not actually feeding enough people and it's not actually making people hurt. So I think it's actually a trust in a system that I think that's falling apart. But I think deeply down, most people still trust that system to fix things and will do the right thing. But they this never been put up. And you talked about fat, sugar, and so on, um, how it impacts people's taste buds and so on. So I deeply believe it's more a system problem than an individual problem and but as Buckmaster Fuller said you can't change I think it goes something I'm probably butchering now that you can't change the system without showing a better version so you can't just throw a stone at something if you don't have a better solution or better option so I think that's very important as entrepreneurs and business owners that want to do the right thing as a force for good we remember Buckmaster Fuller's quote on Exactly. You need to show a better way. There must be a better way of making people not trying to say they are wrong, yeah. even though if you believe they are, but actually showing a better way. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it, you know, it's like sort of dealing with climate change deniers. You can't use facts on them. Yeah. I worry, though, that we are trying to do jujitsu on a basic human instinct. Mm. I mean, the reason why we like sugar, salt and fat yeah. and umami is because that's the first product we get. It's mother's milk. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you're right, but I think, I, I yeah, I, I definitely don't know the answer to that question. Um, but it's no, a it's a good, it's a good question. You you asked asked there because I think it comes back to the umami and actually how we maybe also don't have the right understanding about how we create umami in our food and actually how easy it is to create yeah um, umami when you actually know how to yes and actually how when you choose better quality less but better you know that could be butter it could be meat it could be seaweed. so much amount yeah. of seaweed Dashi, there's can be, yeah. soy sauce um, there's so much the miso uh, there's so much that can help you actually flavor your food especially if you want to eat more plant-based food but that's a that's a different which we should all be doing yeah we should all be doing uh, but we can still eat meat but just less but better like the chocolate yeah I like chocolate um, where can people find out more about you the business how do they subscribe to tastings where do they go so go to cocorunners.com yeah it should be readily apparent 
Um, we'll create a special coupon for everybody who comes through you too. Um, do sign up, not just for a tasting, which is, I mean, if you, if you don't want to buy the chocolate, you can still dial in for a tasting for free. Um, no problems with that, but it is much more fun if you've got the chocolate yeah. there and it's only, you know, 20 pounds for the tasting kit and that gives you 10 different chocolates. Um, and also do sign up for our weekly emails and our weekly videos, uh, where we, you know, basically try and give you some interesting nugget about either the history of chocolate or about, you know, the health aspects or the environmental aspects or about gorillas or something like that, you know. Um, so, so stay in contact. And if you've got any suggestions, we do respond to them. And if you're through Farringdon, uh, come in person and come and say hi. We do lots of in-person tastings again now. Good, good. Thank you so much, Spencer, for coming on the show. Really enjoyed it. And uh, wishing you and the team all the energy and power you need to change the world through chocolate. Thank you. Thanks so much, Spencer, for sharing your incredible journey and insight into how chocolate consumption can change the world, both positive and negative. Now, you should ask yourself, are we buying responsible and ethical in our supply chain up and downstream? And if you want to learn more about how chocolate can be part of changing the world, tune in to episode number 169 with Sean Askinosi, founder and CEO of Askinosi Chocolate, and we discuss what is enough. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com, on their social, at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bizsimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. I really appreciate that you're listening. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website, hospitalitymavericks.com. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. And also, please subscribe to the weekly newsletter, Maverick Talk, via hospitalitymavericks.com, where you will get much more insights and strategies and tools to how to build your Maverick business. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show, Be Maverick.